folks. This is Alan Watt, and it is Wednesday, the 8th of November, 2006. So for all those people who still live in the projected reality they've been born into and think it's all real and that the little X on the spot will change the world, the song's for you. I'm a loser I'm a loser And I'm not what I appear to be Of all the love I have won or have lost There is one love I should never have crossed She was a girl in a million, my friend I should have known she would win in the end I'm a loser And I love someone who's near to me I'm a loser I am not what I appear to be Although I laugh and I act like a clown Beneath this mask I am wearing a frown My tears are falling like rain from the sky for her or myself that I cried. I'm a loser, and I lost someone who's near to me. I'm a loser, and I'm not what I appear to be. Yep, it's the politician's mantra. If you can make an X, you're my kind of guy. The X is quite interesting because it's a bit of a mockery on the illumined man because they know you're not illumined, you're in the dark, you're the profane, you see. And the X was a symbol of the illumined man. It was also used for those who couldn't read and write not so long ago, really. You just marked your X down, that was your sign. That was your oath when you put a little X down there. You're giving authority and to, to someone, and you'll be in obeyance to that authority. That's what soldiers did in Europe in the last century, in the early last century, in the centuries before. They marked their X because they couldn't read or write, and they were now under the command, the total command, of their superiors. They're given their rights away as a member of the public to be a private. They're owned privately. So there's another type of law you can see behind all of this, which you can figure out if you put the time to it. But it's all to do with contracts and contractual law. It's far better to have people believe that they have a say in things. They found out this 200-odd years ago in Britain it's much easier uh, if you give them what they think is democracy and representation. That way they don't revolt every four or five years. You just kick the last lot out, and then you scratch your heads, and you wonder why there seems to be an agenda continuing here with the next bunch that's in. And Thomas Jefferson mentioned this in his own writings. He said, when you see a particular agenda being carried forth through different houses, meaning different um, 
selected groups one after the other, when you see a particular agenda continuing, then you're under a form of of uh, control, totalitarian-type tyranny. And we can certainly see it. It's not hard to see if anybody really wants to open the books. It's not conspiracy, because those who have been the, the visible leaders to this, the front men, have been well documented in the past. We find it in the writings of John Dee, going back to England, 1500s. The British Empire, British Empire, as he called it, with a free trade association of countries that would join, who would get special status if they joined. And eventually this system would be global. We also see it re-emerging in the time of Cecil Rhodes, with his Rhodes Foundation and the, the amalgamation of the Rhodes Foundation with, with Milner, Lord Milner, and the Round Table Groups, now known as Royal Institute of International Affairs, that really is a, a government that is unelected. It has people placed in governments, but they have many people outside of the government in high positions and in big bureaucracies in federal levels. And this was also to bring in a world state based on Plato's Republic. They push continuously for a society where people will serve the state, the world state, they will serve it. They will believe it's their duty to serve it, the world state. And it sounds very appealing to the left-wingers because uh, left-wingers are always looking for utopia. And it never, never turns out that way. Uh, even Gorbachev had to admit that. And you find the guys who play both sides of the fence tend to say very honest things they can afford to. It doesn't mean that they're against it. They just tell you that it doesn't work. Uh, utopias tend to create horror, abs absolute horror on, on, on countries and nations and peoples uh, down through the centuries as you hammer and force them to conform into a system which is technically alien to them, a system based on a priori of commerce and banking that is never questioned in all these utopian schemes, strangely enough. This uh, tokens, these tokens for exchanges, this thing called money, is never, never questioned, nor is it ever questioned as to why specific families have the right to decide what money is, and together these families form what is called the World Bank today, another front, a facade. Carol Quigley, who was a professor at Georgetown University, Georgetown being famous for training people who go on to be high-level bureaucrats, first to do service uh, abroad, uh, generally in forms of charitable agencies, and then they come back and go up the ladder. He was responsible for picking out Rhodes Scholars to send to Oxford in England, uh, where this seems to be the center of of all of this globalism really 
stems from. Um, Oxford is tied with Cambridge for different uh, functions. Cambridge tends to put out into the world the aristocratic elite, the ones that are a bit brighter. They get physicians to go out into the world. They run the, the spy agencies and stuff. Whereas Oxford seems to be based on training the people to go into high-level politics and bureaucracies worldwide. The Royal Institute of International Affairs has a branch in every British Commonwealth country. So you'll have the Australian Institute of International Affairs, Canadian Institute of International etc., etc., and back in the early 1900s, Milner proposed, and it was accepted and implemented, that they take in other countries, such as India um, and Pakistan, and countries which were not part of the empire eventually, such as the USA. And sure enough, they would call them Council on Foreign Relations, so not to upset the citizenry of, of the, the countries who were non-affiliated with the, the British Empire. And you'll find that the policies for the U.S. and all the English-speaking countries have been dictated fairly openly in their own writings for over a hundred years. Carol Quigley mentioned that no one in these countries, no one ever, ever, underline ever, is elected to high office without being vetted and passed years before by the Royal Institute of International Affairs. There would be a, a form of, of um, scaled-down competition for, for the, what appears to the public to be parties, but in reality, the top people that form the upper cabinets would all be handpicked and vetted and trained for the position years before the public even hear their names. And that's also the same with the likes of Canada, with the provinces the, to the provincial level. The, the premiers on the provincial level are also picked and vetted and passed and okayed because the reason they have never lost control of their agenda and the direction is they plan the future like a business. It's a business. They plan it with meticulous detail, not only a business, but as a war. And the, the people of the world don't know the war is upon them. The elite factions of the Council on Foreign Relations, which is the American branch of the Royal Institute of International Affairs, are from aristocratic families in America, in the U.S. does have its aristocracy. It's got a fantastic reputation through propaganda of uh, not having the same snobbery as parts of Europe. But it certainly does, just as much, in fact. And uh, they, they try and disguise it under different accents and so on, but still, they're all from the same old boys' school. This has gone on for hundreds of years. And the party business is a joke. There's one agenda. Uh, all countries have signed their sovereignty away when they signed, first of all, the Atlantic Charter at the beginning of World War II. 
and then subsequently they reinforced that by sending more of their sovereignty away with the United Nations. And they cannot back out of the United Nations and go solo or sovereign without being called a rogue nation. That's what they mean by that. They've broken the contract. It's all run by high Freemasonry. Back to John Dee and the Rosicrucians, they were the ones who put out branches, just like monks do in, in monasteries. You'll find different branches of monks, because this is an ancient system, uh, would ordain other uh, or charter other branches of monks. The Dominicans would, would give branches off of itself, and they call themselves something else, etc., etc. It's kind of like weeds. They, they, they grow in the same stock and then like a dandelion and then blow away multifariously. So you have you have these associations all going back to what we call today Freemasonry with its base structure comprised of the public, the profane and the low masons who don't know much at all that are sworn to uphold the system regardless of what happens, they will uphold it. That's what a base is for. And the base, with the all-seeing eye, and even on their dollar and the Great Seal, which is the reverse side of the Great Seal, there's two sides of it, with the Janus character. It's planted in the wilderness. That's what it symbolizes, the parched wilderness, the wilderness of ignorance, the profane, the public, and it rises above the public. It dominates the public. And so the intellect, the light, the intelligentsia have been given the right to dominate the lessers. They are not the bosses, though. The media has had a fantastic job of doing its usual whipping up the frenzy, which they themselves coined the term the election fever. And the people who are programmed go right into the, the election mode of fever again, uh, voting for whoever says the right things because that's what parties do. It reminds me of the Communist Party. And Lenin said it, Marx before him, you must lie to get in. You tell the people what they want to hear, and once you're in, you do what you want. And that really is what democracy is. If you look at democracy, there's no country where you can actually throw anybody out that you've elected if they go their own way. And this has been tried here in Canada, even on local levels, and the people who investigate this and try to, to get the elected officials out find out that under democracy, the only right you have is to vote them in. That's the only right you have. Once they're in, they, they don't have to be responsible to you. Now, you'd think we'd learn this down through the ages, and you'd think people who, who grew up and see two or three elections in their life would start to catch on. But it's uh, their conditioning overpowers them, and the talking heads in the media gets them into the sports phase. And even use sports technology, uh, terminology, the same phrases you'll hear on in football games and 
and how one's bashing the other and, and uh, all this and who, who's routing who and it's like a war and, it, and it's such a farce really because it's all done by PR campaigns, publicity managers and script writers you're seeing actors basically parrot what they're told to, to parrot they're lost without their scripts that's why they always make such incredible boo-boos when they open their mouths and say what they think they're, they just parrot what they say. They're, 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 they're actors on the stage, like Shakespeare said. But the people never fail to, to fall for this. They've been lied to so many times. They haven't a clue what's really going on in the world or what the big picture is or the agenda. Or if they do, they're double-minded. It's like Orwell's double-speak the ability to, to hold two opposite opinions in your head at the same time and rationalize each one of them. That's a condition of psychological tampering, basically. They, they will never... They won't, it gets me that they actually really want these people who say these things they really want them to, to do and implement these things that they promise to do. Promises. It's amazing. It never, ever alters. They've been doing this democracy business for a couple of centuries now. It keeps evolving and changing, mind you, in its style. And, and people don't notice that either. But they really think those people and the multimillionaires and the big corporate ex-CEOs that they vote for are going to change their lives for the better for them all they have to do is to look for a little bit of honesty with themselves because that's the only place that you can start unless you torture somebody like the, the, like Chertoff and, and his bunch do you know they, uh, that's the only time you get the truth out of someone and you can't force the truth out of someone if they're a born liar. And people who can lie to whole nations are born liars. It's a particular skill that. It's hard to, to, to do it without blushing or, or flickering the eyelids and that type of thing. And they do it very well. If they were in a lower class, they'd be very good salesmen selling vacuum cleaners that probably don't work. Honesty. You have to start with yourself. And that means, why, why do you honestly expect someone else to change your world for you? If you search for tenderness, it isn't hard to find. You can have the love you need to live But if you look for truthfulness You might just as well be blind It always seems to be so hard to give Honesty is such a lonely word Everyone is so 
from you. I highly recommend reading Carl Quigley's books, Tragedy and Hope, and the Anglo-American establishment. Now, Quigley, who was often consulted by the top politicians on policy abroad, was no simple professor. He was also the historian for the American branch of the Royal Institute of International Affairs called the CFR, Council on Foreign Relations. He had access to the records, he updated them, and he was quite open about much of it in his writings. He tells you, here's the reasons why things really happened in history. And sure enough, it fills in all the little black blank spots that you don't get taught in school. All you have in school is dates and times and wars and battles and generals and who won what and who killed who. They never go into what companies backed it up, what international corporations supplied the stuff, made fortunes, what individuals made fortunes, and also paid off the politicians. And he does this. He goes into it in pretty good detail. He's the guy who picked Bill Clinton for old scholarship. Clinton, like all of them, were groomed from childhood for their roles. The president you'll have in ten years' time have already been picked. Same as prime ministers. The major events you'll find in history as you go on in years are already planned, like a business format. Nothing happens in politics by chance. And FDR said that. So why do people vote? Prior to all elections, Joe and Jane Average are worried about their own personal lives. Their lifestyle never matches the image they're sold by the media, by the culture creators at the top. And so they tend to blame themselves, and that creates uncertainty in themselves and their own decision-making. They feel like children. That's what they want you to feel like, like children who are helpless. And then they can bring forth the father figures who seem full of self-confidence. They realize your concerns. They feel your pain. And they vocalize what they know is going through your own lives, what you're feeling. That's why we have such uncertainty in the world that helps to make sure that we do keep this farce going by voting, thinking we can change it. And we shouldn't really encourage these guys by voting. Uh, it, it would be something else if we stopped voting altogether. Then the real bosses would have to come forth with force and show their faces because they would not allow uh, the system to disintegrate, which they've always kept control of for thousands of years, the commercial system with its mercantile law. People vote because they're afraid. They want reassurance. They want 
to be made to feel that they're secure. This is what every con man down through history has observed. And they know how to exploit these fears. It's great when you can create the fears and then you can exploit them. You get the problem, you have the reaction to the problem, the public, and the fear, and you offer the solutions. It doesn't mean you have to carry those solutions out. Or if you do, you'll word it in such a way that it turns out completely different than the people envisage. People want heroes because they have no faith in themselves. Aldo Huxley, in his birthday speech, which you can download from the site, was quite correct when he said that most people are really unhappy in their lives. Well, he knew because the system which he and his forebears had created uh, were making it so. And most people certainly began to be terribly unhappy with all the anxiety of war after war and uh, basically depressions. And Britain all through the, six, the 70s and 80s, it was, um, they called it a recession. They didn't want to call it a, a depression. Everybody was depressed, all right, but they called it a recession. And they were deindustrializing the country without telling the public that this wasn't the official plan that actually signed back in 1945 or 46 with the United Nations to, to deindustrialize it for the European Union. And the, the generations who, who were born in that period afterwards simply went through uh, uh, welfare and uh, job after job if they could get it. Uh, the dole, as they called it. Uh, a term borrowed from Rome, ancient Rome, who gave the dole of, of wine and bread every day to the, the plebeians, the public, to keep them happy, to keep them from revolting. And everything was planned that way, as I say, which is now disclosed. They admitted it after the United Europe officially under a, a government. They came out and, and declassified all the documentation. So generations can suffer, and they don't care at the top, because, well, the plan's the plan, you see, and you can't make an omelette without breaking eggs, as Mr. Rockefeller said. People have to realize that the problems, the main problems they'll face in their life and they blame themselves for. It's not really their fault at all. They're conditioned in a system which gives, gives them a fake perception of reality. When the, the myth that they, they go for does not turn out the same way as the myth is supposed to, they blame themselves, they get depressed, you have family breakups, the children go their own way because they're indoctrinated in the school, that's where they get their values from, totally different from the parents. And every, every few years, they update this agenda to make it even more so. And the people look for a hero outside of themselves, one who voices the concerns that they feel. And that's all they need is acknowledgement this person has stated their problems. They know their problems. They want a hero outside themselves. And that's why they vote. It's interesting that when you look at the ones behind Adolf Hitler, 
who are often portrayed in history as a bunch of little nobodies who just worked their way up in society, renegades, little psychopaths. Uh, and they tried to make them seem as though they're almost illiterate. And that's really the upper class snobbery there because these guys were not stupid. We find that Goring, for instance, who was a flamboyant character, and no doubt psychopathic to boot, and probably very likable if you knew him personally, um, and who loved to dress in a Roman toga for his parties, and who was a theosophist and and who carried his, his big jar of crystals around with him for the for the good vibrations. We find that he, he says the easiest thing to take control of a country, a few people can do it, he said. All you have to do is to hype up the fear of an external threat and claim that the government's not doing enough to stop it and the public, and that you will do more if you get in to protect them, and then they'll vote for you, they'll get you in. And people forget that Adolf Hitler was voted in democratically before he became a de facto dictator. people is to get them into parties 
especially two parties, this or that, up or down, left or right. You'll hear talk show hosts use the same formula on AM stations, your local AM stations or city AM stations, when they get you into an emotive topic. Are you for euthanasia? Are you against euthanasia? Are you for this? Are you for that? And they drum it up, and sure enough, the people obligingly fall into the camps. Their emotional responses to sounds, to words, they're conditioned, and they fall into their camps. If you want to control masses of people, you give them at least two parties. You don't really three is a bit untidy, but you can use the third one occasionally when it's so obvious, blatantly obviously, the corruption is in both parties. You can always use the third one for a little while as they do in Canada, once in a blue moon. The, the, the whole party thing is the easiest way to control millions of people. The United States was supposed to be a, a, a republic first, which followed specific guidelines, although they wrote it in such a way you could drive buses through it, and that was deliberate too. The... Uh, the party system is easy to take over because you just have to put your guy or a few at the top and the rest of them are like trained seals at the circus, you know, all the other politicians, they belong to the party, they want to get up the ladder, they're all masons, and they, they clap their fins, you know, their, 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 their hands and, and cheer their boss on and tell the constituents, well, I didn't really like that, but I had to, I had to tow the party line, you see, tow the line, that's a Masonic saying. And sure enough, they do. And the public say, oh, well, I guess you had to, you see, and we let it happen. But really, we encourage them by voting. In the, the Soviet Union, they made it law that you had to vote because people just weren't turning out. So they made it law because legally, you see, you have to give your power to the beast that rules you. So they made the force the people to participate. In Australia, I don't know if they passed it or not, but Howard, the Prime Minister there, I think he's been there forever, he he was going to do the same thing in Australia because really there's no confidence in the in the system and the people are a little bewildered as to why all these things are happening, this globalization and this Pacific Rim region set up and, and the laws are getting passed on them. They can't quite figure it out. So he was thinking of being it mandatory to vote. So if there's anybody in Australia who knows anything, let me know, would you? Like, it would be interesting to see. Because they talked about that in Canada. They tossed it around once in a while. It, it's good, you see, when you can give them the right to rule over you. It's not govern as such. It's, it's rule because it's rule to an agenda. A rule is another Masonic term because the first Cain, the priest, you see, Cain, and the first rulers were made of Cain. Even when I was in school, you know, maybe even still you can get cheap ones from China made of Cain and marked off. It used to be inches, now it's probably centimeters. As they move from the 10 to the, or the 12 to the 10 system. Again, the binary code coming in there. Uh, Masonic again. Everything is, you see, you're living in a system which you don't even recognize is all around you, right down to your measurements. 
in the, the mythological ideal, the Republic would have been a system where there was one state, like one one party, where all the rules and tenets of the party were laid down and fixed in stone. The representatives would come from your area to represent just you, the people. That's what is in its mythological form. The party system, of course, does away with that because all the little hacks at the bottom have uh, worked their way in there for power's sake and status. They don't go there to serve the people. They'll say all the right things because it's their nature as good little psychopaths. But in reality, they want to is self-serving. That's where they meet the future business contacts, big ones. The largest contracts, of course, dished out in a country are from the federal government. So they make all their acquaintances for business, future, and so on. And they're not there to serve the people. And it's rather sad to see that's happened in all countries over the last 150 years or so when even the ones who are supposed to represent the working people sell out very quickly, often beforehand, because again they're hand-picked the leaders, and again they're all masons. That's the, the common bond throughout the whole planet, is Freemasonry, in all of its names, it's the same thing, male and female. Interestingly enough, I tuned into the news tonight on the Canadian television. I get three stations with my rabbit ears here. And there's a spokesman for a political party in Canada, a woman, and she gave the most obvious Freemasonic handshake. So she's Eastern Star, but it was interesting to see it so blatant. I guess she's she's just only just passed the the third degree, not much higher, because it was just too obvious. But that's the, the system we live under. It's the same in business. It's the same in law. It's the same everywhere. The signs, the symbols, the language is all around you, and you don't see it. You don't see it. But any president of the United States goes up to speech on the podium, everything around that set, and it's a set for your viewing, the same kind of uh, methodology goes into the creation of that background as it does in a, in a movie where everything's debated. Should this be here? Should that be there? Is it, is it the right color? Color is very important too. It's a language. It goes all the way back, actually before, but Pythagoras was the guy who, who brought it out of Egypt where he studied but you'll find every president in the United States will tell you his format by the way the flag behind him is draped if the arrows are showing with the, the leg you know the job is war if it's the other leg of the eagle holding the olive branch his job is to at least pretend peace like Bill Clinton pretended peace, although more 
missiles flew over the Middle East from ships and blew up all over the place in Iraq during his whole tenure there. Ten year. <laughs> but you can tell a good deal by the background. It's a language for those in the know. Yep, if you can make an X, you're my kind of guy. And isn't it really interesting to see when it's time for electing who's going to be the, the front man at the top? You, you, this fever they drum up with all the balloons, balloons, and placards, and, and badges, and, and funny hats, and, and cheering, and so on, at the party headquarters. Uh, it's like a circus. This is supposed to deal uh, with you. There's problems with, with, with the country, finances, and all. And here they are having a circus to drum up hysteria for the public. And the public seem to respond to it. I noticed when I came to this country the, the difference in the advertising techniques because they're suited to the types of mentality they've given to the public. And there's a culture mentality to give to the public. It's given to you. You're born into it. And they update it, just like they update the computers every so often. And the public never notice. But in Britain, the ads were pretty boring because it was all suits and ties and, and steadfast and upstanding guys selling you something. Whereas in, in, the, in the U.S. and Canada at that time, it was salesmen who were dressed up literally like circus clowns with the big red noses on and big shoes and balloons in their hands selling used cars. And I thought, who, who, who in their right mind would buy a used car from a clown? And yet, they were successful, it seems. And the same technique is used for voting. As though utopia is coming tomorrow if you just vote this person in, and tomorrow comes and goes, then the promises are all broken, and the, and the same agenda, the same United Nations agenda, goes steadily forward, as, as always. It doesn't change. And the people don't learn. They don't learn because they think this is all real, and they say, well, this bunch turned out bad, so I'll vote the next bunch in next time. And that's what you really do. You don't vote new people in. You're voting the, the last lot out. You're so sick of them. And yet you have no memory to realize the bunch you're voting in did the same thing when they were in the last time. In this system, which is a totalitarian system, which is always worn... Well, not always worn, but generally wears the, the, the velvet glove that covers the iron fist. It's much easier to have people obey by compliance rather than by brute force. And to make them think that they, they are actually guiding their own lives, it's much easier to do it that way. But you'll find in this system all of, again, the mythos to do with the culture and the safety nets are out there for you that you're meant to believe are there. You have a caring system. You'll find the tools if you have to go and use them eventually one day. And I always liken them to a highway that you walk along and there's your pickaxe there and I don't need that, I'll keep going. And there's a hammer there, I'll keep going. 
and there's a spade. I'll keep going. I don't need that. But if you ever do, you'll find that when you pick them up to use and you hit that pickaxe on the road, it bounces because it's made of rubber. It's made of rubber. The system doesn't give out the tools to help you overcome the system. That's the, how clever this is. And everyone's divided from, from race, creed, religion, uh, generations, male, female. Everything's divided and divided and divided. And every so often they get one side off, off the other, fighting the other, via the media over some, again, emotive topic. And that keeps it going. You see all divided and conquered. Everyone's divided and conquered. This is a science, an ancient science that is taught to those who are not elected because the real bosses are not elected and they have no responsibility to answer to the public. It's so interesting to see that when the official, for the first time as an organization, the Council on Foreign Relations came on Canadian television nationally in March 2005, to do with the signing of the United Americas Agreement. And they said they were behind it openly. None of those guys were elected to any political office. Some of them had been in politics prior to that. Some hadn't. So they belonged to these organizations, these foundations, as they call them, because Masons make foundations, and you build society on the foundations they are not responsible for their acts or decisions to the public. That's your democracy for you. The trick at election time is to whip up the public into a frenzy because it's important that they get you back in the box, getting involved as you think you are. And once you're into that frenzy and panic state, and uh, looking at all the alternatives, the, the limited alternatives you're given, they've got you where they want you. They want your authorization to rule over you, come what may. People have asked me, how do you, how do you combat this kind of totalitarian uh, system, a secret government behind government? And I tell them, and I've said this on many radio shows, and the hosts have never taken it up. They've dropped it quietly. But I say, look, if you're going to give people authority to rule over you and do as they wish to you and your children, you better make sure you know everything about them. Everything about them. And you should definitely demand to know what organizations they belong to have sworn allegiance to, and have sworn to obey. That's a start. That's a very, very important start. And when you find that they belong to all these nefarious organizations with secrets, as I like to call them, not secret organizations, then you can't trust them at all. You cannot trust them, no matter what they say, uh, supposing they get down their knees and repent or whatever they do, you can never trust them again. These people have sold out completely, and people who sell out completely 
will repeat it over and over to the highest bidder. Carol Quigley, in his own book, Tragedy and Hope, writing in the 1960s, said that nothing would stop this agenda because it had already taken over the U.S. Congress and Senate 50 to 60 years prior to the writing of his book. And by the time the public, those off or are in the public that would ever figure it out would catch on, the agenda would be accomplished. And that's exactly how the, the United Europe, by the same secrecy, lying to the public, and parliament after parliament that, that was elected in, simply went along with the agenda, kept their mouth shut, uh, made excuses to the public as to why the country was in such a sad situation and getting sadder all the time until it was all over and done. Then, once they had united Europe under a parliament, they declassified the documents to say, yes, this agenda to unite Europe must be kept secret from the public until it is completed. That's open democracy for you. And it is no different in any other so-called democratic country. The old Rhodes Milner groups, the secret government that was authorized to exist by the British Crown, they're chartered to exist and do what they're doing, has never stopped on its goal towards this world government. Margaret Thatcher said it best, she said, we who are ex-premiers of countries and various nations comprise another government. She says, we never retire. We know each other. We've worked each, with each other for years. And that is too valuable to be thrown away. She said that they were unelected. Now they were out of office. They were not responsible to the public or recall or any of that nonsense. They could quietly work and get more done behind the scenes working for this private, the real private government, the real one that exists towards their agenda. Now it's interesting to note that the, the Rhodes-Milner Group of the Royal Institute of International Affairs is stated, oh, 80 years ago or more, Oh, yeah, it was, 80, it was 100 years ago. They stated that they'd work with any type of government, even conflicting types like communism. And that's true because they helped to create communism. And this group is composed of the upper elite of the noble families of Europe, primarily Britain, but now it's the rest of Europe. And one of their the points they wanted to make was they wanted to eradicate the middle classes under the guise of equality. They never mentioned eradicating the upper class and all their privileges. They take it as a, a priori that that will go on forever. That's what Aldo Huxley was talking about when he, when he mentioned the dominant minority. He said there always has been a dominant minority 
and I see no reason why there shouldn't always be one. And it's true, there's nothing to stop them with their agenda, because the sad reality is we have been born into a matrix system, totally planned and organized prior to your birth, prior to your parents' birth, and this agenda has been going on for an awful long time. Even if President Bush or anyone else had another born experience, and the last time Bush had it was when he got out the coffin at Yale University, the Skull and Bones Society. That's what it means when they do that. And that's what he means when he refers to it. Even if he had a real one, whatever that is, he couldn't stop it. If he did, he, he would be Lincoln'd or Kennedy'd in public view to warn others to stay in line. There's no doubt about that. The big boys at the top do not tolerate disobedience from any of their hirelings. I will be going into this system of control with the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the Council on Foreign Relations in more detail on tomorrow's show. So you can tune in then. But there's nothing out there that really is as it seems to be. It's the appearance, it's the illusion of a particular spin on reality that's basically propagated to us, the public. Most people have no idea that they're living in a, in, in a scripted format of propaganda. They truly are meant to believe, and that's the trick of it, to make you believe that you're the most well-informed people that's ever walked the planet uh, because of all the news stations that you have. But this, all of the news stations get their, their, their news and their, basically their orders, their marching orders, from the same source. And that's why you, you flick through the channels if you, if you have cable or satellite, and you'll, you'll hear the same stories across the country one after another in the same sequence, including the trivia, same trivia. It's all controlled to give you an, the impression that you're the most informed being that's walked the planet. And if you believe that, you'll never figure it out. You'll never figure out that your perceptions have been given to you. The diagnosis of the system has been given to you. You'll allow everything to come along that's detrimental to you, like sheep. And you'll wonder why things are just going to the dogs, as I say. This is the trick of the creation of particular perception. It's non-stop PR, propaganda, and public relations. There's nothing from your local police station to even your school board that does, it doesn't come through a, a PR person, a spokesperson, public relations. There's nothing. Now, that, that it's like a, having an intermediary lawyer to, to redefine reality to you. That's what a PR person does, to put a spin on something and, until it becomes acceptable to you. You don't think past the spin. 
And with this big circus show of uh, elections, remember something. In ancient times, they knew the trick of division. They knew that the public would join this group or that group. The trick was given you the groups that you would identify with, with always the right spokesperson to say what you were thinking. It's very, very simple. It's never failed. I don't see a reason why it should fail, really, with the majority of the public. And the symbol of the eagle, which is ancient, ancient symbol, going back for many thousands of years, and has come down through the centuries, through, through Rome. Part of that it was in Egypt, too, and then the Roman Empire to the United States and the Soviet and the Russian system they have the eagle as well in the high masonry of course the eagle is the one like the falcon that can symbolically go as high as the sun and look into the face of the sun that's what it means and you'll find uh, you, the, the symbol of the arrows and the olive branch very revealing very old symbol, you'll find it in the Old Testament if you care to look and you should ask yourself why they picked that one the war and the peace the arms, so they can create war, peace the wings are the parties left and right, male and female these are the terms that they use emotion versus logic that's what they mean by the they're very sexist of course and they really hate females at the top the body is covered by a shield. The body of the bird is covered by a shield. The body is hidden. The real body is hidden. You see the head above, but in, again, Masonic terms, you can figure it out quite simply, the head below. The real, the real power is covered. You don't get to see that. In ancient Egypt, they had two eyes, sometimes on, on some of their symbols of pyramids. And when the top eye was open, the bottom was closed and vice versa. The public get to see what they're meant to see and nothing more. You'll find that there'll be some people who are replaced with this election over as a token, but they were decided to go long before the public heard of it. They never leave politics. They, they join the real workers behind the scenes where they're not responsible to the general public. And Mr. Rumsfeld, of course, is already scheduled to go off and do his nefarious stuff behind the scenes. He was always a front man for the chemical companies and the big weaponry firms in combination with those chemical companies he was the guy that even on the CBC was shown going over years ago and um, shaking his Masonic handshake with uh, Saddam Hussein when he was giving them the chemicalized weaponry. And Mr. Rumsfeld will simply go back into the, the real work behind the scenes where he can do a lot of stuff without being responsible to Joe Public or the press or anyone else. And you won't hear what he's been up to until years later. That's how the real system works. These guys never leave the art and the system they're involved in of governance as opposed to government.
uh, look at the website for upcoming shows. I'm on RBN Broadcasting on Friday. I'll be doing my own blurb tomorrow night and going into detail about the CFR and the Royal Institute of International Affairs. As for myself, I've just about finished getting ready for the winter. I have a couple of things to do, rather major. Uh, no one's backing me, and for those who want to help out, you can check out where, how they can do it on the website at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And I'll leave you tonight with a song, another song for those who fall into the trap of voting. Hope you enjoy. Good night, and may your God or gods go with you. Born to lose, I've lived my life in vain. Every dream has only brought me pain. All my life, I've always been so blue. Born to lose, and now I'm losing you. Born to lose, it seems so hard to bear. When I wake and find that you're not. You've grown tired And now you say we're through Born to lose And now I'm losing you I'm losing you.